uh, John's gospel. <clears throat> John's gospel is full of, uh, of images. Uh, it's very clever gospel. It's got lots of um, nuance going through through it. I don't know if you have the chance to to just sit sometime. Maybe get the deck chair out this afternoon after lunch if you can hold off that falling asleep in the sunshine. Or just make time to read some of John's gospel. Just read a few chapters. If you can, keep going. There's, there's so many kind of threads woven through. However, chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We should all quote this together, shouldn't we? We all know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Jesus, in this story of Nicodemus that you met, challenged, spoke with, we know that it moved Nicodemus. Later on, he appears again in, in the story of good news. And I pray 
that as I speak, you would be conversing, speaking, challenging, calling by name, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Not so long ago, a Time magazine article was written and it asked the question, can a person really, I mean, fundamentally change? That was the title. Can a person really, I mean, fundamentally change? The author summarizes at the end and says, no, there is no such animal, he says, as a changed man. He says, I don't believe in epiphanies, personal growth, midlife crises, or deathbed conversions. In the piece, he argues, and he's convinced that the assumptions behind psychiatry, prison reform, and religion are false, that we are who we are through millions of years of Darwinian evolution. He says, we are who we are. The die is cast, a personality is formed, full stop. And you might find it surprising to hear this, but I kind of agree with him. You and I cannot change. Even if you were on your deathbed, or someone came back to warn you from the grave that judgment would come, I'd be surprised if it really did change your behavior. We cannot change. But Jesus can change us. This is one of the things the gospel is really, really clear about. And society gets all sorts of anxiousness about. Visit any kind of top list of books or Kindle downloads, and I bet that many of them will be about self-help. That aspiration, that desire, that, that conviction within us that we want to improve ourselves, and rightly so, we want to skill up and learn different skills, new techniques, we want to kind of go to counseling and therapy to get rid of some of the baggage. I'm not dissing that fundamentally, but when it comes to the really crucial question of eternity and life and death, and will you live with God, we cannot change ourselves. The die is cast. Will stop. But God can. In the story of, of Jesus and, and Nicodemus, we find this man, Nicodemus, hurrying in the night. Hurrying because he doesn't want to be seen, probably. Hurrying because they don't have electric street lights. Hurrying because night is dark and you don't want to be out late. Hurrying probably because. Well, remember what was last week's sermon? Jesus had been in the temple and, and the Sadducees had got really kind of uh, agitated because Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jerusalem is in uproar and, and kind of Jesus is becoming this controversial figure. And Nicodemus hurries in the night because something is stirring within him. Something is, has moved him to recognize there's something about this Jesus that he really, really wants to find out about. 
Nicodemus, this kind of leader of the Pharisees. Nicodemus, this man who is in charge of many of the kind of religious communities. Nicodemus, an old man who studied for his life, throughout his life, learning the scriptures, seeking God, worshiping, seeking to hold to that which he knows to be right, seeking to become better, hurrying in the night to meet Jesus. Maybe because they think he's in collusion. Maybe because his Pharisee friends might tut going to see that Jesus. Night's a really interesting theme of John's gospel. Darkness comes up again and again. Chapter 1. I don't know if you remember, in those wonderful uh, prologue uh, words about the the world does not receive him, but speaks of light coming. uh, John the Baptist, who was a witness concerning the light, uh, that he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to that light. There's only two characters in John's gospel who appear at night. Or who act at night. Nicodemus comes. Judas Judas Iscariot goes to betray. This theme of light and darkness. Oh, where are we? Jesus is the light. Outside of Jesus, it is darkness. So many themes coming. You see, Jesus has come, we're told... The light looking in darkness for men and women who will become children of God. And in John 3, particularly verse 13, Jesus makes one of those outrageous claims again. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Back in in chapter 1, verse 18, another extraordinary claim. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Nicodemus, hurrying in the night to the light of the world. The one who has abided and abided in all creation, in all time with the Father, has come amongst his people. Our worlds. And Nicodemus begins a conversation. Rabbi, teacher. It's a term of endearment, it's a term of respect. He says, We know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Jesus does that, brothers and sisters. Jesus tells us the truth. Have no uncertainty, have no qualm. Make no mistake, Jesus speaks the truth, always does. If you want to be sure, if you want to find a guide through life, The line of life, so to speak. Jesus is the one who tells the truth. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
Being a good person is not enough, Nicodemus. Being a good person is not enough. We need to be born again. We cannot change ourselves in ways that are fundamentally important. You see, for Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, as an upright man, he tried to live the ways of the book. That the Pharisees, in their intention was to focus on the, Mos- the, the law of Moses, and they categorized the law of Moses into 248 commands. They made 365 prohibitions, in other words, what they should not do, and they made 1,521 amendments. I'm guessing Nicodemus could probably quote you most of them. A zealous man, a righteous man, a good man, a man who knew his stuff. But maybe he'd begun to think, can you get there by following the letter of the law? Jesus challenges Nicodemus and says, You don't really know God because he says, in order to know God, you must be born again. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge to us because we love to know what we should do. We love to know the right way. We love to know what steps to take. Religion sits easily with us. I read recently, well, relatively recently, um, a biography by Spurgeon, and uh, it talks about his take on it. Forgive the, the language, but this isn't a new issue. It's an issue pertinent all the way through. But how easily, how easily we think we can somehow favor God by what we do. Regularly, I've talked with people, including my own family, and uh, and. I kind of say, you know, you need to come to Jesus. That phrase, being born again, is a little bit of a, a phrase that gets confused and, and used in all sorts of ways. And, but essentially saying, you need to, to come to Jesus to have your life changed. My family included say, but I'm a good person. I, I know you are, but it's not enough. I've done, you know, I've kept the laws and paid my taxes and, uh, and done all the right things. And I'm not that bad, am I? And I go, I know, but it's not enough. Spurgeon said, throughout this Protestant land, it is beyond all question. I have to say that, you know, he doesn't hold back on his language. So forgive me for this. You'll know what he says. It is beyond all question that there are in it people who are popish enough to perform great religious acts by way of merit. He's not just talking about Catholics here. He's talking about people he knew. Protestants, good, upright British citizens. What a goodly row of, uh, row of almshouses was erected by that miserly old grinder uh, for the poor as an atonement for his hoarding prosperities. What a splendid legacy someone left to that hospital. That was a very proper thing, but the man who left it never gave a farthing to a beggar in his life, and he would not have given anything when he died, only he could not take his money with him. So he left it to charity as atonement for his sin. Sometimes persons are so foolish as to think that the doing to some professedly religious act will take them to heaven, attending church prayers twice a day, fasting in Lent, decorating the altar with needlework, putting in stained glass in the window, or giving a new organ. 
at the suggestion of their priest, they do such many things. And thus they go on working like blind asses in a mill from morning to night and making no more real progress than the poor donkeys do. Many who are nominally Christian appear to me to believe in a sort of sincere obedience covenant in which if a man does as much as he can, Christ will do the rest and so the sinner will be saved. But it is not so. You see, unless God transforms us, unless we come to Jesus, the light, unless God raises our dead souls to life, we cannot see the living God, much less work our way into his kingdom. We may as well try to catch the winds. Human effort, Jesus says, leads only to a human child. But only the Holy Spirit can give birth to a child of God. If we try to do it ourselves, if we work at this ourselves and think we should be good enough, we will be lost. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. How? How? John is, is kind of a little bit curious in what he writes in the gospel. He has Jesus ha say this kind of slightly weird thing. It doesn't pick up in our language. When, when, he talks about, when we talk about putting our faith in something or in someone, we talk about we put our faith in them, don't we? We put our faith in, our trust in. But in, in how John writes it, he uses a slightly uh, different word. He words, he kind of says it's into him. Put your faith into. In other words, he's trying to sum up that, that the faith that Jesus is speaking about, the gift of God that is coming, isn't just, well, I'll just put my faith in something, but into. It's an active, it's a, a kind of wholehearted decision of your faith into. It's amazing. And Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. The conversation carries on. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? Jesus is slightly ironic. You're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things. Nicodemus, so many years of studying, so many years of doing the stuff, so many years of attending to the word of God, of teaching people, holding forums and seminars. You don't understand these things. And Jesus goes on to quote from Numbers 21. It's an Old Testament story. It's the story he goes on to say about the snake in the desert. Do you remember reading that? In Numbers 21, God's people are in the wilderness and they've started to turn their back on God who's there with them by fire and by clouds. And they start to rebel and be disobedient and caught up in doing their own things. And as a way of calling them back, God sends a plague of, of venomous snakes. And they start to get bitten and the snakes poison them and people die. 
But God doesn't want people to perish. Let me say that again. God does not want anybody to perish. For God so loves the world that he said to Moses, cast a bronze snake and hold it up on a stick in the center of the camp. And that when anyone is bitten because the snakes are there because of the rebellious, sinful actions of God's people, they turn their back. And the story tells us there's a desperate consequence to us. If we turn away from God, if we ignore God, we think we can do it in our own ways and our own agenda. Think, well, let's live our life our own way. There's a desperate consequence. And the people of God in the wilderness were bitten by these venomous snakes And they were dying. They knew their time was short. But God's rescue plan was that if they turned and looked at the bronze snake on the stick, then they would be healed. Miraculously, marvelously, not through anything that they did, simply by looking at, putting their faith in God's healing plan. And they would be restored. Nicodemus, you remember, don't you? For the Israelite who had not ignored the fang marks in his skin, that person would be absolutely doomed to die. Medicine would not help. A miracle was needed. Reform is no, is no substitute for rebirth. Reform, getting better, doing it ourselves, trying to make ourselves better is no substitute for rebirth, for being born again. Unless the man or the woman in the tent in the wilderness left the darkness of his tent and ran into the light towards the bronze snake, only then would he be saved. Saving faith for the story in the Old Testament begins by this recognition, I need help. I need rescue. I need saving. I've been bitten by this snake and I'm in desperate need for God's gospel serum. And they would look to the snake on the pole and be healed. Jesus says saving faith is faith in Jesus alone. In just in this passage, three times he says to Nicodemus, he is the son of God. He says he is Israel's Messiah. Twice he says he's the son of man. There is no other savior, no other rescue, no other place of new life but Jesus. And he goes on to say, until and unless you see the son of man lifted up, lifted up at Calvary, On the pole, can anyone find a cure for the sin's deadly venom which works in us all? Jesus is our Savior. The story in the desert. Think of the man in the tent who says, I've got great faith in God. But stays in the tent and doesn't look to the pole will die. You see, the power is not in the size of our faith. It's in the message of Jesus' cross and the power of the cross itself. We look, brothers and sisters, to Jesus crucified, dying for you and for me. There is no other place of rescue 
There is no other place of reform. If you're tired of trying it your own ways, of doing your own thing, of thinking, I can do this, I can do this, I will get better, I will try harder. No. Jesus. You must be born again. See, humanity has been infected by a deadly disease. The only cure is to look at the Son of Man dying on the cross, finding life by believing in Him. You see, the point of the story is that you do not have to be condemned. You do not have to be lost. You do not have to remain in darkness. You do not let ha- let, need to let the snake kill you, sin. God's action in the death of Jesus on the cross has planted a sign in the middle of history, slap bang, in the middle of our world, in the middle of our story, saying, believe in Jesus and live. Nicodemus is shocked. You know, he thought he was okay by virtue of his race, Jewish a male, a leader, circumcised. He was a professional, a leading religious light, a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council. Jews and all people around may look at Nicodemus and see his credentials and see how impressive he looked. And Jesus sees to his heart and says, you must be born again. You know, I once thought about this, I regularly think about this, Sometimes it's easier to go to people who are desperately bad and know they are and say, here's an offer of life. It's far harder to go to nice, good people and say, you need a savior because they say, who, me? I give to the National Trust. I turn up at the memorial services in town. must be born again. Water and the Spirit. It could mean water and the Spirit, baptism, and being filled with the Spirit. I think probably in this context, it means for Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, remember John? Why did people go out in the desert? Because they were repenting. They were preparing some themselves. They were recognizing the kingdom of God was at near and at hand. And now I am here and I will give you new life by the Spirit. You don't earn it by doing anything, but you come to Jesus. You must be born again of water and the Spirit. Why? Because you can't save yourself. You can't improve yourself. You can't know enough about it. You need to come into the person of Jesus to trust him. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world, this unfathomable love of God stressed. You know, if the depth of love is measured by the value of the gift, then God's love could not be greater. For his love gift is his most precious possession, his eternally begotten son, He could not love more. He gives for us so that we should be saved. All of us to be born again. Not a matter of just knowing enough illumination, but of regeneration, of rebirth, of being born again. Not just seeing, but becoming a new being. We must be born again. 
You see, regeneration, Jesus starkly says there is a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We're either one or the other, born again or dead in sins, in light or in darkness, saved from condemnation or under condemnation. Brother, sister, there's no middle grounds. The illusion of our world is there's a nice fence upon which you can relax and easily make your choice. There is not. Where are you? The problem of humanity, of you and I, and sin is not that we sin, we do that, but it's not really sin that's the problem, but the state of sin that we are in that needs this comprehensive, radical, miraculous intervention of God. His son lifted high upon the cross, dying for us, and as we look to him, as we trust into him, we are saved. True spirituality, Jesus, and this is controversial in this age. Hear it like it is. True spirituality is not discovering some latent capacity within yourself and fanning goodness into flame. I can become better if I just put this aside and focus on these better virtues. No, it is not that. Neither is it uncovering kind of a better moral outlook kind of getting rid of all those bad things that our world and society has taught us. No, that will not lead to life. Nor is it finding the beautiful features that can promote society in its, in its finest form. We learnt at our cost the error of that road. We don't just improve by educating everybody, though that is good. We don't just get our society transformed by getting everyone to be able to read and write, though that is good. We don't change the world by feeding programs, though that is good. We cannot do it. God does it in Jesus. It's not just working with the materials we have in our capacity and our possession and making available that which is around us rearranging it a bit and we'll come out all right in the end. No. If that's the mentality or that's the thing you believe in, it's like rearranging the deck tears on the Titanic. It's going down. We need a rescuer, a savior. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. We need the complete overhaul, a rescue, a salvation. Complete transformation. Do you need that life, that new start? Maybe today. Maybe you decided on a moment you can remember or the journey that God has brought you on to that place of remembrance. I remember it in my own life. 19, the, second of no, sec, the 10th of November, 1991. When God entered my life and I looked to Jesus and I can tell you I didn't change myself but he did my outlook and my attitudes the actions and the inclinations of my heart he transformed not because I set my mind to it but he did it through his spirit again and again in baptismal testimonies we hear of the power of God transforming people not to their own initiative or hard work or good endeavor but by the grace of God they have been born again by the power of God 
transforming life. Men's breakfast, ladies' lunch, testimony after testimony. Can people change? Not in their own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. Yes, because they look to him and him alone. So good to hear conversion stories. See, the trouble is many people look at their lives and weigh their sins against their good deeds. Will I be in good balance? Isaiah 64, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Our good deeds can never, ever outweigh our sins. You know, the literal interpretation of those filthy rags in that verse in Isaiah 64, is of menstrual garments. Think used tampons. You're a bit shocked now, aren't you? It's a bit of a disgusting image. Well, yes. But why would you poor rag about that? Why would you put them on display and say, look at these? It's what it's like if we trust in our own endeavor. Filthy rags. Only Jesus gives life. You must be born again. Your life, your experience, your good deeds, your charitable work, your status, your reputation, your learning, not one of these will get you into the kingdom of God. Jesus says you must be born again. You must trust in him, look to him, lift it up for you. For your salvation. He says you must believe you, Nicodemus. But again, John has that word in plural form. In other words, he's not really, Jesus is not just saying to Nicodemus, you, you mate, you man, you teacher from the Jewish council. John is reminding us the you is us. That glimpse that glimmer, that look from Jesus, even into the here and now. You, you can be born again right now if you trust in him. I've got a good friend, but he's never been to Alton Towers. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I quite like Alton Towers. It's a great place, full of adventure. One of the advertising slogans, where wonders never cease. It's a bit far-fetched. It's a great wonder at the price of the chips, I'll tell you. But um, it still has great rides and thrills and excitement. My friend, who's never been, knows where it is. He's driven past on roads and seen the signs, Alton Towers, turn onto the A50, follow the directions. He knows where it is. He knows its location he even knows what's in Alton Towers. He could tell you about the rides because he's seen the adverts and he's read the brochure and he's visited the webpage and seen all about how wonderful this place is. And he's heard other people come back saying, oh, it's amazing. I felt like my stomach was in my mouth. And I queued for three hours and you should come. And people have even said to him, you know you should go one day. Come with us. But as yet, no, not been. He knows a lot about it. He's educated, he's knowledgeable, 
tell you what rides, lots of detail. Even looked at the map of the park, but never been. Nicodemus knew an awful lot about it. Even some of what God was doing, but he'd never been. Needed to be born again. He hadn't believed. He hadn't entered into the real kingdom where wonders never cease. Let's stand together. Could we have uh, the free runners coming back? That would be great.